Welcome to Phone Messages, Episode 95. I wish you the best of luck. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play the second message from Andy Golub. When I first played it back, I could barely make out a word because Andy speaks in a very quiet voice. But after listening multiple times and paying close attention, I was able to grasp most of it. At one point in the message, he says, it's July 17th. So this provides another clear time marker that we are in the summer of 1989. The message is 68 seconds long, and immediately after it, we will hear Andy's response. Let's listen. seemed like you were talking about football at one point. Yeah, yeah I, I think like there was like one bit was like about like a captain speaking and then the, there was something about the world going around and then like the plane touching down and that touchdown went into like the football. It was like there was no real message. So I think I, I was probably maybe writing a lot and trying to play with words. I was probably writing some bad items for the Maroon Literary Supplement, the Great City Journal. Yeah, I think I had a poem published there. And then uh, I was helping out uh, on a literary magazine called The Baffler. How did you get involved in The Baffler? I I was good friends with Tom Frank. We took a class together on Dreiser and Fitzgerald and Hemingway. He uh, he was a graduate student who was a defiantly anti-Marxist American leftist. I think he had had one edition of it at the University of Virginia in his undergraduate years before he came to Chicago, and this was the second edition that we were working on. What was your involvement? I think I contributed uh, maybe some drawings. I'm not quite sure if I got any sort of you know, published, and I helped you sort of uh, read and edit, I think, at that time. So did you have, like, regular weekly meetings, or...? I mean, if you consider, like, you know, sort of, like, hours at Jimmy's Woodlawn Tap, regular meetings, I guess there were regular meetings. Uh, among other things we did that summer, I mean, he had a, a pension for climbing the building, so we, we would often, like, spend 
post-meeting hours trying to scale to the tops of the university buildings. Yeah, so like getting it to like whatever the, the service floor is and then getting to the roofs of all the buildings. We could get the libraries or classroom buildings or uh, or the Shoreland Hotel. We got to the top of Harper's, which was kind of maybe like you know, the most impressive to the campus. Sort of just remember sort of like creeping in, in shadows. I, I don't actually remember the exact path that we got all the way to the top. Some like outdoor fire escape scaffold climbing. So that, that was part of the, you know, the, the flavor of the summer. I think during that summer, my brother, like someone abandoned a puppy like on his doorstep in a rush basket. And of course, if, you know, you see an abandoned orphan on a rush basket, you have to name them Moses. But when the puppy was just like just fresh, he had to go away that weekend just after he found it. So I was puppy sitting and he had a cardboard crate for the puppy to live in. And the puppy was sleeping. I came back and the puppy had gone to the bathroom and like rolled around in it. And so you had this like stinky puppy in this like dirty cardboard box that I was like left like this to clean up with. And so I, you know, gave the puppy a bath and dried him off and cleaned him off. And, we got to, and then Chicago was known for these fantastic alleyways with all sorts of great junk. You could always pick up people throwing out. And I remember one of the buildings was getting rid of their wooden screens, which were giant, like four feet by eight feet long screens with these little latches on it. So I took two of the screens home and cut them up a little bit and used the latches to make a little fence. And I put the puppy in this and then it had like screened in. And so it was no longer bounded by these like opaque walls. And I could hang out in the same room with the puppy, but the puppy was like safely protected in this little zone. And so that I remember before my brother came home, I labeled the little crate, the iron cage metaphor. Like there's a concept of Max Weber where if you internalize the rules of social order, you can be a more productive member of economic engine of society and you don't need outside constraints or punishments to do the right thing. You've internalized the rules that will reward you for following what society needs for maintaining order. And so by putting the puppy in the iron cage metaphor, I was hopeful that he would learn not to poop inside the house, I guess. The first issue of The Baffler came out in the summer of 1988 and was edited by Thomas Frank and Keith White at the University of Virginia. The second issue was published in the summer of 1990 at the University of Chicago, after Frank had moved there to begin graduate school in history. In that issue... Of the nine names listed under Arbiters of Elegance, a cute name for editors, two have left messages on my answering machine, Andy Golub and Myra Chachkin, who I am still trying to contact. Over the course of the 1990s, the journal was printed sporadically, up to three issues in some years, but other years not at all. At the same time, The Baffler became very influential for its brash takedown of commodity culture. Publishing a well-received collection of essays in 1997 titled Commodify Your Descent, Salvos from the Baffler. In the early 2000s, The Baffler went on hiatus but was revived in the 2010s and is now published bi-monthly. Tom Frank completed his Ph.D. in 1994 
with a dissertation titled Commercialization of Dissent, Counterculture and Consumer Culture in the American 1960s. He went on to become a best-selling author of books analyzing U.S. politics and culture. Most notably, What's the Matter with Kansas, which was made into a documentary in 2009. His most recent book is The People Know, A Brief History of Anti-Populism. Before concluding for this week, I want to make a note about Andy's previous interview from episode 92, The Poet, where we discussed his working at a Coca-Cola warehouse. After I had finished producing the episode, Andy informed me that Coke had recently ended production of Tab, his favorite soda from the 1980s. Okay, that's it. If you would like to participate in this podcast or have comments, please contact me through my website, pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Many thanks to Andy for sharing his memories. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.